Oh, you're really quiet today. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Are we, some of us are probably a little tired. I've been saying to the team this morning, it's okay when you're tired because in our weakness, he can be strong. Or in my ridiculousness, he can be sane. So we're hoping for a good message this morning. Um, we've got faith in God, hey? Amen, we do. So before we go on this morning, a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to. Not, not my props. I've got props today, everybody. It's going to be great. Okay, so we'll leave them there for later. Um, it's Remembrance Day today, the 11th of the 11th. And the most special thing about today is that it's actually 100 years since the first um, Remembrance Day. Well, sit, let me read it out. I'm going to read it out. Otherwise, I'll get myself into trouble. Um, I'll get it all wrong. It's Remembrance Day. It's 100 years. So I'm just going to read this out to you. Um, Sunday, the 11th of November, 2018, marks the 100th anniversary of the armistice which ended the First World War. 100 years ago, on the 11th of November, 1918, the guns of the Western Front fell silent after four years of continuous warfare. With their armies retreating and close to collapse, German leaders signed an armistice, bringing to an end the First World War. From the summer of 1918, the five divisions of the Australian Corps had been at the forefront of the Allied advance to victory. Beginning with their stunning success at the Battle of Hamel in July, they helped to turn the tide of the war at Amiens in August, followed by the capture of Mount St Quentin and Peroni. I'm saying all these wrong, I know. And the breaching of German defences at the Hindenburg Line in September. By early October, the exhausted Australians were withdrawn from battle. They had achieved a fighting reputation out of proportion to their numbers. Go the Aussies. But victory had come at a heavy cost. They suffered almost 48,000 casualties during 1918, including more than 12,000 dead. In the four years of war, more than 330 1,000 Australians had served overseas and more than 60,000 of them had died. The social effects of these losses cast a long shadow over the post-war decades. And so each year, Australians on this day observe one minute of silence at 11am in memory of those who have died or suffered in all wars and all armed conflicts. So today at 11 o'clock... I've got my alarm set, everybody, for 11.59, sorry, 10.59, and I'm going to stop speaking at 10.59. I'm going to invite you to stand and we'll observe a minute's silence to remember those who have given their lives for our freedom. And we all know that freedom never comes at a free cost. Someone always pays the price for our freedom. And I just wanted to draw attention to our precious Brian this morning, who's not here, um, Val's husband. He's at an RSL event this morning. But he was in the Navy during the Vietnam War and he worked alongside the USA fleets, um, taking the army, is that correct, into North Vietnam? Taking the army to South Vietnam and operating from North Vietnam. So... Brian, we love you and we remember you this morning. So that's, we're going to do that, okay? Is that all right? 
because that's really special. Okay, the other thing I just want to say is that we decided to leave our um, women's conference shop running today uh, because there are some brilliant merch, as we like to call them. Um, we designed these T-shirts. Actually, Janelle did. When I say we, I mean, you know, all of us through Janelle. Um, how cute are these little girls' T-shirts? My little girls are running around in these this morning. They're little girls' T-shirts. Great Christmas gifts, everybody. Um, here's an adult's one. I've, I've got one of these. In fact, I think I've got one of everything at the merch shop. Sorry, babe. Um, but this one says, always remember whose you are. Great colour, ladies. So grab that. Grab kids' T-shirts. Can you hold them? Grab books. I just want to uh, draw your attention to this one. Uh, we talk about sex at Oasis Church. It's okay. It's all going to be okay. But this book, um, we've started calling Patricia Wurukun Auntie Pat because, I don't know, only aunties can say those things and sort of get away with it. Auntie Pat has written several books. Um, this one is fantastic. If you're married and you're a woman, if you put this in your husband's Santa sack this year, I think he's going to love you for the rest of your life. It's called The Best Sex for Life and it's got diagrams. So anyway, um, there's a few of those left. Go get them for your husbands. Pop them in there. Santa sacks. Happy days. Happy days all around. Um, this one is um, Teen Sex by the book... Um, so we have this one in our house. If you've got children, sort of year three, four, five, we're still having a giggle about that. Um, seriously, though, there was a group of us on Friday night just looking through the merch and we're standing there and we're like, oh, my, oh, my, we're giggling like teenagers. Anyway, so this one, back to this one. Um, if you've got uh, children, this is a great book to have on your shelves. We have it at our house and... Um, it's really opened up a lot of great conversation for us and our kiddos who are in the zone, in the zone, everybody. So I, I want to encourage you, go and buy products so that you are well-equipped uh, in your marriage, you're well-equipped with your children um, to go through that scary adolescence period. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Are you with me this morning? I need you to be with me this morning. Let's go on a journey together. So we are in week two of God the Father. And we're basically learning about the character and the nature of God. Who is God? And we're looking at him through the eyes of different characters in the Bible. So last week we looked at who God was through the story of Adam and Eve and who he proves himself to be through those stories. And as you and shared, I think sometimes we have a clearer concept of who Jesus is because he was a man. He walked on the earth in flesh. He was tempted with the things that we're tempted with. And we can relate to him, can't we? A little easier. Holy Spirit. Mm, that's a little bit more challenging, but we kind of grasp it a little bit because he's spirit and he doesn't really have a form, I guess, or a substance. And so we can kind of get our heads around that a little bit. But who is God the Father? And um, you and showed, if you were here last week, some great paintings, uh, which were just phenomenal. But there is no description about what he looks like. So artists have just taken liberty um, to concoct pieces of imagery for us to kind of relate to. And so we really wanted to unpack who God the Father is so that you will fall in love with him even more. And I loved prepping this message. I've 
preached twice this weekend, Friday night, which was so great with the women. But I'm excited about this message, I've got to tell you. So let's go on a little bit of a journey with Abram this morning. He's, he did get his name changed at one point to Abraham. This was pre-name change. So we're going to be referring to him as Abram. If I say Abraham, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. But we're going to be looking at him through the eyes of Abram this morning. So when I was a little girl, which wasn't that long ago, everybody, um, my dad used to say to me, um, if you break your promise, you break God's heart. And I don't know about the theology in that, but it actually made an impact on me as a child. And using, using um, words was important to me to get it right. I didn't ever want to break God's heart, so I wanted to have honour in the way that I use my words. But unfortunately, as I've got older, and the same as you, we break our promises. We use words flippantly. And from time to time, we go back on our word. For example, we RSVP to events. And then on the day when we're tired, we make excuses to not go. And we text and we say, sorry, we can't come today. We break our word. Sometimes we say yes to people up front. And all the time in our mind, we're going, should be saying no, should be saying no, should be saying no. And because we didn't say no at the time that it mattered, we have to come back later and say no. And that makes it worse. And, you know, there's a few really good Bible verses, and I'm sure a lot of us know them, that speak into this thing. Psalm 15, verse 1 says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence? Let him be the one who keeps their promises, even though it hurts. How good is that? Keep your promises, even when it hurts. James 5, 12 says this, but above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be so that you may not fall under condemnation. So we as a people have got a lot to learn about keeping our promises and being honouring with our words. We get wounded. We wound each other and hurt each other when we don't keep our promises. I mean, people come in and say, oh, we love Oasis. We're going to make it home. Next minute, they're running out to the latest church down the street, you know. Or people pull out of serving on a Sunday morning, five minutes before church is about to start, leaving leaders in a spin. Um, sometimes we give deadlines. You know, we all give deadlines and we don't meet them. Um, sometimes friends betray us. Uh, with their words. Sometimes marriages fall apart. Sometimes business partnerships and deals go sour because we don't keep our promises. And Ewan touched on this last week. He said, oftentimes we look at God the Father through a lens of humanity. We place humanity on God the Father. And so we think because people let me down with their words, People don't keep their promises to me. God's not going to do that either. We reflect humanity on God. But God the Father, He is not human. He's not like us. And I love this scripture. Yes, praise God, Val, but He's not like us or we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. This scripture, it's going to come up on the screen. Isaiah 55, 8 to 11 for my thoughts, this is God speaking, Father God, are not your thoughts. Neither 
are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying here, don't humanize me. Don't make me like you. I'm something else. He goes on, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish everything I desire. God's promises and achieve the purpose which I sent it. That's the Father. That's how he is with his words. Every word that he speaks goes out, accomplishes and doesn't come back to him void. Aren't you glad that we serve a God like that? A promise keeper, steadfast. Okay, so let's look at this interaction that God has with Abram this morning. This is such a great story. So we're going to read a little bit of scripture together and it's going to come up behind me. And it's a strange story. I just want to start by saying that, but we're going to unpack it together. So it's in Genesis 15 and we're going to start at verse 1. It says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Amen. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Elysia of Damascus. And Abraham said, Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man won't be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look, Abram, look at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited, credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a cow, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Interesting shopping list. Abram brought these things to him, cut them in two. Sounds like a horror movie now. Okay, let's just um, stand for a moment. I'm just going to, we're at 11.59. You guys stood up super quick. I thought it might take us a minute to stand up. I'm going to turn off snooze so this doesn't happen again in eight minutes. Okay, I'm just going to set my timer for a minute. I can do it. Not 20 minutes. One minute. Okay. Start. You can take a seat. 
we remember those who laid down their life for us. So back to the story. So Abram cuts them in two, arranges the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. That would have been quite messy, I imagine. The birds, then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. If only I had time to unpack. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, a promise with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, to the land of all of those different people groups known as the Amorites together. What is going on in this story? What on earth does it all mean? God shows up to Abram in a vision and Abram takes the opportunity to ask God some questions. I mean, come on for a minute. If God shows up in a vision to you, you're probably going to take a few moments to ask God some questions. Would you say? Like, God, tell me about this. God, tell me about this. God, tell me why that. You're going to want to ask him. You're going to want some clarification over some things. And that's exactly what Abram does here. He takes a moment. But if we back up a bit, so we're in Genesis 15, if we just pop back to Genesis 12 for a minute, the reason Abram's asking God these questions is because God gave Abram three promises. He said, I'm going to give you a promise of heirs, the stars, the many people. I'm going to give you a promise of land and I'm going to give you a promise of blessings. That's what he says to Abram. And so 10 years later, Abram's like, hang on a minute. You said, God, these things. So I'm just coming to you with some clarifying questions to ask if you meant what you said. So the first thing he says is, tell me about an heir. And God reassures him. He says, look at the stars, Abram. Have a look. And you know, when God showed him the stars... And he said, look at the stars, that's how many heirs you're going to have, that they're your descendants. The Bible says Abram believed him. He believed him. And, you know, there's something about looking at the stars at night that gives you a little bit of perspective about life, right? And then God says to him, Abram, I'm the one that brought you out of your hometown, the Ur of the Chaldeans, the place you're in to give you a new land. 
And so God is almost pointing Abram back. Did you, did you remember I brought you out of that place? And everywhere that you've gone since, I've provided for you. I've been with you. He's saying, look back to the past. You can trust me. You've got history with me now and I've proven myself faithful. You can trust me. I've been with you every step so far and I'm going to be with you every step in the future. But then Abram says, but how can I know? How can I know that I'm going to take possession of the land? And isn't that just the question of humanity? Isn't that the question on all of our hearts? How can I know that you're going to do, God, what you said you were going to do? How can I know that you're going to do what you said in the Bible for me? How can I know? How can I know about my future? How can I know about my children? How can I know about my health? How can I know about my finances? How can I know about my marriage? How can I know about my death? How can I know? It's the question that we all ask. How can I know, God, that you are going to do those things which you said you were going to do? How encouraging for us that Abram had a moment of doubt and he was having a vision of God. I mean, that's encouraging to me. And you know what? When he asks his questions of God for clarification, God doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, get out of here, Abram. I've already told you once. If I've asked you once, I've asked you a thousand times. He doesn't say anything like that. He says, go get me these crazy things. Get me a cow, get me a goat, get me a ram, get me two birds. At this point, Abram doesn't ask for any further clarification. He doesn't say, why do you want those things, God? He, know, he seems to know what to do. He goes about cutting uh, the animals in half. Um, here we go. Uh, we've got My, my Little Pony. Um, I can't remember this one's name. Pink Flush? Hot Flush? <laughs> no, I don't know. Here's uh, Tigress. We won her at the Royal Show a couple of weeks ago, I feel like. Um, here's, here's some more things. Uh, catacorn and uh, these make, making my rams and my... This was my teddy when I was a baby, everybody. Looking a bit shabby. Well loved. Okay, catacorn, you go there. So here we've got our cow, we've got our goat, got our ram. Here's our rams, bun bun and this weird thing. Okay, so Abram just goes about cutting the pieces in half... And here's our birds. We've got owlet and another weird thing. Um, okay, here's our birds. The birds are just there. They don't get cut in half, but there's two of them. And so this is what he does. He cuts the pieces in half. He cuts the animals in half. And he lays the pieces side by side, dead, blood, shed, asks no questions. Seems to know what's going on. Um, and this is the way that they did things back in the ancient Near East. They made treaties by cutting the pieces, they called it. They cut the pieces. And what they did was they just cut the animals in half and then if I was making an agreement with you and, hey, we're going to be married, um, they probably wouldn't do it over marriage, but business deals, promises to each other, they would both walk the pieces and they would um, speak out their oath to each other. I promise you 
this and I promise you this. And then it was like this. If I cut the pieces and I walk the pieces with you and you go back on your words, you get to end up like those dead animals. That's basically what they're saying. Can you imagine if we did our marriages like that these days? If you go back on your word, your oath that you promised me, you will end up like this dead cow, cut in half, bleeding, body broken, dead. Now, what comes next in the story is very interesting to me. It says a darkness comes over Abram and God speaks about dark things. This is what God says. He says, I know I promised you that that you would inherit the land. Actually, no, you, you won't inherit the land. Your descendants will be oppressed for 400 years and then they will inherit the land. No wonder it's dark. No wonder Abraham's horrified. This is something new. And then what happens is God passes through the pieces as a smoking oven and a burning torch and he quotes the promise that he's making as he walks the pieces. I mean, there's just so much that we could pull out of that story about who God is in this image. And I, I want to just pull out a few because, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm out of time. I haven't got to my, my notes, people. Okay, so I'm going to pull out some things really fast. The first thing I want to show you is that God is a promise keeper. Following Abram, his descendants really didn't do the right thing. They were not obedient to God and God did not revoke his oath. He kept his oath in place. So much so that because of that oath that he made 4,000 years ago, that oath is still in promise because God's promises don't change. He is a promise keeper. Numbers 23, 19 says this. I love this. God is not human that he should lie. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The answer is, of course, no. He's a promise keeper. The second thing I want to show you about this walking the pieces is that God is patient. God has time on his side. The thing that Abram wanted most was a son. He wanted an heir. And so much so that it had become an idol in his heart. That was the one thing that motivated him, moved him. And at this point in time, 10 years after it was promised, still no son. It's still an idol for Abram. It's still the thing that's motivating him. Even after he has this vision of God, he has this incredible interaction. A few years later, he sleeps with his wife's servant to get him a son. He takes matters in his own hands. So still, at that point, it's still an idol for him. He's still trying to do these things in his own strength. But finally, after 12 years, Isaac, the promised child, comes along. But God was hoping that Abram would get to that place of getting rid of that idol in his heart. And so he gave him time. He eventually got there. The reason that God waited 400 years for Abram's descendants to cross over and to enter into the promised land because he was giving all of those people groups, the Amorites, a chance to repent. That scripture said, 
The sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. He was waiting, hoping that people who weren't his own would have a change of heart about their behaviour and repent. 400 years God waited for those people. Unfortunately, they didn't choose God's ways. He waits for us. He gives us a chance to get things right. And some of us need to hear that this morning. We beat ourselves up. We condemn ourselves when we get things wrong, even accidentally sometimes. We're like, God is unpleased. God is angry with me. No, he's not. He's patient with you. He waits for you. He wants you to get it right. He's on your side. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. That is your father. The third quick thing is that God responds to faith with his faithfulness. You know, that verse said that Abram believed the Lord. Abram didn't just believe in God. Oh, yeah, there's a God. He actually believed God when he gave him the promises. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And I want to say that that's a good thing. And actually, that faith is just very simple. It's just acceptance of Christ. It's just believing Christ and his promises. God doesn't make us do anything else. He doesn't make us go through a rite of passage. He doesn't make us whip ourselves and self-flagellate and do all these crazy things for his acceptance. All he says we need to do is just believe. Just believe what I'm telling you. Just believe the promises that I gave you. That's faith. Just believe. Our faith is so very simple. Abram is called in Romans 4.11, the father of all who believe. Isn't that beautiful? And that's all we're called to do. But sometimes it gets tough when we have to believe against the odds, like Abram did. He waited a long time for a son. But God leads us into these lifestyles of faith, of belief, so that he can show himself faithful to us. The fourth thing that I want to show you is that God is the most powerful. Only God could walk through the pieces on his own because there was nobody greater to swear by. If God could find someone more powerful than him, he would have sent that person through the pieces to declare and proclaim that 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 thing would never, that oath would never be over. But seeing as there was nobody else more powerful, he walked through the pieces himself. There's this great scripture in Hebrews, a New Testament scripture that's reflecting on an Old Testament story. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater For him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. 
You can read the rest on your own. It goes on to talk a little bit more about it. But the fact is that God is the most powerful and he is an anchor for our soul, something that we can sink into and be secure into. My last point really quickly is that God lays down his life for us. As we touched on already, God walked the pieces alone. He put Abraham to sleep. Abraham, you're actually quite useless in this situation because if I was to make you walk the pieces, Abraham, you in your humanness, in your fragility, in your broken promises, in your faithlessness, you would die. You would actually have to die because you can't keep promises the way that I keep promises. So God sent himself through. And you know what? In saying that, in God sending himself through, this is what he's declaring. May my divinity experience mutilation. May my power suffer powerlessness. May I be cut off and destroyed. May my body be stripped to pieces if my word doesn't remain. And darkness comes over Abram and he sleeps. And it reminds me, church, of a time 2,000 years ago when darkness came over the earth again and Jesus was crucified. And again, God laid down his life for us in an unconditional covenant. Abram 